0: Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Please stand as your act of worship as we read and receive God's Word. Pray then like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Jen, for reading that. Uh, Would you join me in prayer once more, just as we ask God's blessing now? (laughs) Father, we thank you for uh, all of this worship and how we can declare uh, you are our living hope. Uh, You have given us a grace so glorious in Jesus Christ and you are the Lord of our salvation. And as we sing and as we confess and as we remember, uh, Lord, fill our hearts with great adoration for you. Fill our hearts, Lord, uh, with the desire to see your name hallowed and not hollowed. God, now as we turn our attention to the Lord's Prayer, continue to refine us and uh, teach us and shape us and mold us to be uh, those uh, people of prayer that you want us to be, the very reason why you taught us how to pray. Help us, Lord, to receive your word and respond by being sharpened, Lord, in how we petition, how we request, how we come before you and lay our prayers. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, here at Cornerstone, we have five core values. Uh, The five core values, of course, are the five things we are absolutely committed to as a church. And a few years ago, we introduced these core values, and then uh, we followed up with a sermon series on them. But but since then, we haven't directly uh, hit them and and targeted them. But every year, we want to do that uh, when we talk about global missions. Uh, Because uh, our five core values, if, if you remember, and I hope those who are members know this off the top of their head, but is gospel centrality, disciple-making, community fostering, mercy and justice, and global missions. Um, Somebody once commented to me that they uh, thought that our core values uh, weren't very unique. And I didn't know if that was uh, insulting or a compliment. Uh, I took it as a compliment, so I looked at them and I said, yes and amen, thank you. Uh, And the reason I took that as a compliment was not simply wanting to have an optimistic view of it. Um, But the reason that we have core values is not, the purpose of them is not to make us unique or stand out from other churches. That's not what a core value is. A core value is the things that we think in the Bible uh, are on God's heart, that he's revealed to us. And if they're on God's heart, they most absolutely need to be on our hearts as well. And so, in fact, if somebody heard our core values and said, that's so unique, you guys really stand out, that would be a cause of concern. Why is no other church concerned about these things. What makes ours so unique? Now, in our core values, Global Missions is listed as number five, uh, but that is not because it's last or least in importance. This is important for us to know. It's listed as a fifth because this is the natural flow and effect of the gospel. If we get and understand the gospel in our hearts, gospel centrality in our hearts, it'll lead to personal discipleship formation. We become disciples who follow Jesus. And that in turn will affect and shape our community among other believers. So we'll be community fostering. And then from there, as it continues to work on our hearts, it opens our eyes to care about the needs and concerns of others. It leads to mercy and justice in our neighborhood and in our community. And then fifthly, it empowers us to respond uh, to the world. It burdens our hearts that the saving gospel of Jesus Christ would be made known to the nations, to people of every tongue and tribe. And so every year, we focus, we spend exactly, uh, or we set aside two weeks to talk about global missions for this purpose, and we call it Mid-March Missions. Now, if you're thinking that sounds a lot like uh, March Madness, uh, it does. It was very intentional. Uh, We wanted to uh, jump on that uh, bandwagon of of branding, Mid-March Missions. So during this time, we're doing a few things, and I've already announced. Them. Uh, after service this week and next week, Deacon Rock will be leading the children and youth group. Uh, we have a prayer brunch where we're praying for the various missionaries and, and the countries and the people groups they serve. Uh, we have the missionary coming in next week, uh, Pastor John Park, at to come preach God's word. Uh, in your bulletin, you should have received an insert of how to pray for missionaries. Uh, downstairs, you'll see that there are a few resources. There's a prayer calendar as well as um, two books that you can kind of look at that I actually encourage every family uh, to purchase and to to buy. And the reason we're doing this is, is not only because we want missions to be on our radar, but we want missions to be central to the church. We want missions to be central in the life of Cornerstone, and as we just read, we're still in the Lord's prayer, but we're talking about global missions. And um, you may be wondering, what does the Lord's prayer have to do with global missions? And and I want to help show you actually it has a lot to do with missions in this world. And so we're reading the second and third petitions, verse verse ten. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as we look at just that one verse, here's the gospel truth. Our Agent is to Jesus, whose kingdom advances in the world through prayer. Our allegiance is to Jesus, whose kingdom advances in the world through prayer. So we're going to look at this under three headings. We're going to look at the basics of the kingdom, the battle of the kingdoms, and the better king and kingdom. So the basics of the kingdom, the battle of the kingdoms, and then the better king and his kingdom. So let's start here, the basics of the kingdom. In the second petition, Jesus prays in verse 10, he says, your kingdom come, that's it, that's the whole petition. It's short, it's simple, it's sweet. But what does he mean by the kingdom? You know, when Jesus started his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, the very first words he uttered in his mission, in his ministry was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus's mission, his message was one concerned about the kingdom. Now, pay attention to what Jesus is saying and what he's not saying in the Lord's Prayer. He is saying, you must pray that the kingdom of God comes, the kingdom comes through prayer, derives through prayer. Now why is that important? Because it means this kingdom, the kingdom Jesus is talking about, is a spiritual reality realized through prayer. The kingdom Jesus is talking about is not a physical reality realized through strength and might. Because if the kingdom Jesus was talking about was physical, if Jesus was planning on establishing an earthly throne and wearing a physical crown, then he wouldn't have told his disciples, hey, pray about the kingdom. He would tell them, fight for the kingdom, train for the kingdom, organize for the kingdom, discipline for the kingdom. But Jesus is saying, Pray for the coming of the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God is not about a physical realm where kings and queens sit on thrones and are housed in castles. The kingdom of God is realized, it's a spiritual reality realized when God rules and reigns over the hearts of his people. God's kingdom is where people's allegiances are given to him as they bend their knees before him in his will. That's what we call faith. Faith is essentially allegiance to Jesus Christ. And we don't enter this kingdom, this spiritual kingdom, like we do any other place here on earth. You know, some of you may know that uh, I've been going to Cambodia uh, almost every year for missions. And every time you go to Cambodia, you need to apply for an electronic visa. Uh, one time, I didn't apply for an electronic visa. I did it by showing up. And if you know anything about Cambodia, they don't have infrastructure. And so there's no line. You go and you just put, you give your passport to somebody. And then they take it and they say, meet me down there. And you're like, that's it? And your passport is gone for 20 minutes and you're getting so nervous. And they have no system of calling you. All they do is they take the passport and they just hold it up. And you got to see if it's your picture. <laughs> and then you come and you grab it before somebody else tries to steal your passport. So I learned, don't get a visa there. Get it online. Apply for an electronic visa. So when you apply, uh, you get a response um, through an email. And and, and every year, it's the the same automated response. Dear Andrew, we are pleased to inform you that your e-visa application to the kingdom of Cambodia has been approved. Now, Cambodia, of course, is a kingdom, and so you get invited, allowed to enter the kingdom of Cambodia. And without that e-visa, without that valid passport, there's no way to enter the kingdom. Now, the way we enter God's kingdom is not through a visa or a passport. The way we enter God's kingdom is through faith and repentance in Jesus. There's no other way to enter the kingdom. You don't enter the kingdom of God through customs. You enter the kingdom of God through Christ. You don't enter the kingdom by showing a visa or a passport, but by showing Christ's righteousness given to you. Now, when you pray for God's kingdom to come, what you're praying is that his rule and his reign, his kingship and his authority are recognized in people's hearts and in their lives. You're praying that people's allegiances turn away from old kings and old kingdoms and turn instead to this new and better king and his kingdom. But consider this. Jesus says, pray your kingdom come. Now, does that mean Jesus' kingdom is not already here? Is his kingdom arriving in the future, or is it presently here among us? Well, Jesus is praying, Lord, may your kingdom come as if it's future. But remember in Matthew 4, when he arrived, he said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's presently here. So what's going on? Is it in the future, or is it already here? Well, let me explain it this way. The coming of Christ over 2,000 years ago, when he came to this earth, he brought the kingdom of God. It already broke into this world. It's already here, but it's not fully here. And this is what theologians call the already not yet of the kingdom. The God's rule and reign is already established on this earth but it's not yet fully established in all of its glory. Or said another way, the fullness of the joy and the peace and the life and the love of the kingdom are still future, but they've broken into the present so we can still experience some of that joy and peace and life and love now. maybe I can illustrate it this way. Imagine one day that you're really busy, you just have a packed schedule and you're going appointment to appointment or meeting to meeting and you don't have time to eat. And while you're driving around, you realize you're low on gas, and so you pull off the closest gas station, which is a 7-Eleven. You pull in, you fill in gas, but while you're filling in gas, your stomach grumbles, you're hungry, so you run in to 7-Eleven. You grab the, the quickest thing, the easiest thing. You grab it, you pay for it. It's a seven select bean and cheese burrito, 7-Eleven. Now, some of you are going, that's awfully specific, Pastor <laughs> Andrew. Uh, well, you may have never you know eaten this, but let's say you're that desperate. So you take your burrito, you pay, you uh, put the cap. On your gas tank, and you drive off, but you're so hungry that at the next red light, you tear open that burrito and you take an ungodly sized bite of it and you eat it and you're disappointed. And you're disappointed because it's a cold burrito. And you realize that in your rush to get out, you forgot to heat it up. You forgot to put the one for one minute on the microwave. Now, there's a spiritual lesson here. Is that burrito edible? Yes, it is. Luckily for you, you look at it, it says, already cooked. But are you tasting that bean and cheese goodness in all of its glory? Not even close. Why not? It's not yet heated up. You see, the burrito, already cooked, not yet heated up. Already edible, not yet delicious. It's a time in between. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. (laughs) A time in between. In his first coming, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom. He brought the kingdom to this world, and in his death and resurrection, Jesus destroyed the power of sin, death, and decay. And so the kingdom is presently here. But one day, Jesus will come back in greater glory. And not only in the first kingdom, when he first came, he destroyed the power of sin, death, and decay. But when he comes, he will remove entirely the presence of sin, death, and decay. That's when the kingdom will be fully realized. And so now we exist in this time in between. And it's in this time in between that missions takes place. Because missions is the work of the kingdom of God advancing in the world, winning people's hearts, winning their allegiances to Jesus Christ so that they can enjoy the blessings of forgiveness of sins and eternal life that are offered to those who would believe in him. So to pray for God's kingdom to come, to pray for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, is to pray for the continual work of missions, for kingdom advancement, for lives to be changed, for allegiances to be given to Jesus Christ. But as the kingdom comes, what is it advancing against? And this is our second point, the battle of the kingdoms. If the kingdom of God comes, it comes and it replaces another kingdom. If we're praying that the will of God be done, we're praying that somebody else's will not be done. And what are those things? Those are opposing kingdoms in this world. In Colossians 1, uh, Apostle Paul, when he talks about these kingdoms, he refers to one as the domain of darkness. And he says the Christians, or he says all people belong to the domain of darkness until God has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And when the Bible says that, it's basically hinting at this truth. Whether we realize it or not, whether we accept it or not, everybody is born in sin. And as a result of that, they are born into an allegiance to the kingdom of darkness. You may think, well, I don't worship Satan. I don't don't pledge my allegiance to the devil. But whether you want to or not, whether you have chosen to or not, we are born into that kingdom, that kingdom that is opposed to God. So, for example, if you are born here in the United States, you are an American citizen. You had no say in the matter. You weren't born and then out of the delivery room as an infant, taken into, you know, an office and given a decision. Do you want to become an American citizen or not? When you are born in America, you are born a U.S. citizen when you are born in sin in Adam's original sin you are born as a citizen of the kingdom of this world you are born into the opposing kingdom against God and until you renounce that citizenship until you are rescued and redeemed out of that and redeemed into Jesus Christ you remain in that kingdom and so missions then is the spread is the spreading of the good news that Jesus has come to set his people free from bondage and slavery to that old kingdom and to bring them into his kingdom of life and light. It's also the good news that Jesus will do this freely, by grace we call it, if we would just turn and trust in him. And so the advance of this kingdom against the opposing kingdom doesn't happen through swords and spears. It happens through proclamation and preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This transfer of allegiances, this transfer of citizenship doesn't happen through a submission of an application or an interview. It happens through faith and repentance. And we need to pray the kingdom of God advances because unless the gospel is taken out, people will be left aligned to the wrong kingdom. And Martin Luther once wrote, we are wretched captives of powerful foes in strange lands. All of us dwell in the devil's kingdom until the coming of the kingdom of God. But here's a trick, here's the trick that the devil or or Satan uses. You know, Satan's goal isn't necessarily for you to worship him. That's not his goal. Satan's goal is to distract you from worshiping God. He doesn't care which kingdom you give your allegiance to as long as it's not God's kingdom, as long as it's an opposing kingdom. And so usually when I think about missions and I think of the opposing kingdoms, my mind goes to to false religions and and false gods. I I think of all the pantheistic religions. I I think of idol worship in India, and I think of animism in Africa, and I think of shamanism in Asia, and I think of all these kinds of religions and false gods. And thinking, oh, the kingdom needs to advance against those, and it certainly does. It needs to advance and break into those areas of darkness to win people to Jesus Christ. But those aren't the only opposing Kingdoms. And one of the opposing kingdoms that we so often don't give thought to is this. When we try to build our own kingdoms and we try to get glory for ourselves, we too are an opposing kingdom. Well, when you're praying God's kingdom advances against the opposing kingdoms. sometimes that means you're praying that God's kingdom would advance against your own heart, where I build my own kingdom, and I sit on the throne, and I wear my little crown, and I try to do as much of my will as possible and get as much glory for myself as I can. And granted, the kingdom that you love and you build has a population of one, where you are the ruler and you are the ruled. But the point is that God's not on that throne, and so that kingdom needs to be destroyed destroyed 2 and at the end of the day, this battleground of missions, it takes place in the heart of people. When we talk about missions, I, I'll confess this. There's a, there's a, um, a mission conference, a very national conference called Urbana, in, um, happens in, in St. Louis. And it happens every three years. It's a very big conference. And a few years ago, uh, I went with a couple college students. Uh, we drove there in the middle of a snowstorm. It took about 18 hours. We got there by the grace of God. And everyone is hearing all these great missions. You have missionaries from you know, Ecuador and, you know, uh, New Guinea and all these places. And then there was a woman who stood up and uh, she was Brazilian and she had been this uh, wealthy, successful architect or lawyer, I forget which. And, and she was sharing how she gave it all up and it was so moving. Like She's like, I made $250,000, you know, equivalent in, in U.S. money and, and now I gave up my life and now I'm a missionary. And we're like, where? And she goes, and I'm a missionary, In Rome, Italy. And I thought, that's a vacation. That's not missions. And that exposed in me this idea where I thought, oh, missions, kingdom advancement, the opposing kingdoms are in these remote places of the earth. But you know what? Anywhere where somebody believes I am the king of my kingdom, Anywhere where people believe that everything should happen for their glory and they work for their glory and they try to get their will done, that's an imposing kingdom. And so often when we think of Europe, we don't often think of that's a place that needs to be reached. But even there, although they may not have these other kind of religions and they don't do the idol worship that we typically think of and they do not engage in animism or ancestral worship or shamanism, they are committed to their autonomy, their uh, self-independence, their own um, intellect and intelligence. So they are building an opposing kingdom. That's why the gospel needs to go out everywhere. It's a battle of the heart. Who is your allegiance to? It could be to Satan. Some people have given their allegiance to false gods. Some people have given their allegiance to themselves but we're called to give our allegiance to Jesus Christ. Spiro Zahadis wrote this. He said, no other person, no power, no position, no possession should be allowed to rule in our heart. God must be the absolute and uncontested sovereign, for it is imperative that his kingdom come in our hearts before it can come to rule in the world at large. Heaven must be in us before we can be in heaven. God's kingdom must be in us before we can be in God's kingdom. It must begin in our hearts. So when when you pray the lord's prayer what you're asking is god would you wage war in people's hearts turn their affections turn their allegiances to christ let them joyfully submit to his rule and his reign you see this is how kingdom advancement this is how mission happens through prayer so let me ask you a question how much of your prayer life is concerned and consumed with God's kingdom being manifested through the world in gospel advancement? How much of your prayers are personal petitions and how much are prayers of gospel advancement? Are you praying for missionaries who serve God on the front lines of battles? Are you praying for their protection against the evil one who seeks to destroy and to discourage and confuse and divide the laborers who who are at work in the harvest? Are you praying for the spirit to soften people's hearts as the plow softens soil so that the gospel can be implanted? You know, it's through prayer that every single Christian participates in the mission of God. This is what Jesus wants. He wants all of us, when he taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, he's saying, I want all of you engaged in this this mission. This is the mission I'm assigning to you. You know, so many of us, we're familiar with the uh, Mission Impossible series with Tom Cruise. And if you've seen any of them, you know that that very famous line, your mission should you choose to accept. And I think some of us think that Jesus is coming to us and offering your mission should you choose to accept. But it's not optional. He's not asking you to accept it or not. He's saying you are a Christian. You participate in kingdom advancement. Some of us participate as we go, but many more of us participate as we pray. If you pray for missions, you are working for kingdom advancement because, listen, friends, if you're praying that God's kingdom come, you're praying that the gospel goes out. If you're not praying, then you are settling for the present reign of another king. Your indifference, your neutrality is actually support for the status quo. Put it another way, unless you are praying and you are participating in the advancement of God's kingdom, that his will be done in people's lives, that his gospel break across strongholds and enemy lines. Unless you're praying that souls be one to Jesus Christ, your lack of prayer is supporting the current establishment of the domain of darkness. When you're not praying, you're saying, Satan, you rule there and people are aligned to you and they're giving their allegiance to you and following you. That's okay with me. If this is so important, you know, how, how crucial is it that we give our best prayer efforts to missions? Now, I don't mean to say these are bad things to pray about. I'll preach about this in two weeks. But how many of us were prayers about your will be done whether I get into this college or not? Your will be done whether I get this promotion or not? Are you praying your will be done so that the gospel would go out, so that people who are enslaved into the domain of darkness in Satan's kingdom are transferred into the light of the beloved kingdom of the Son of God so that they would have life and life eternal? Are we concerned about such things? You know, our denominational mission agency, Mission to the World... Uh, They have issued a challenge uh, to all PCA churches. We are a PCA church. uh, The challenge has been to uh, tithe your members. And so the challenge is, would you send 1% of your congregation on global missions? And we've joked at this church that if we sent one person, we'd have to send half a person. Uh, If we sent 1%, we'd have to send half a person. um, Or a short person, I don't know which. But all joking aside, you know whether we're able to send that 1% or not, That shouldn't stop 100% of our membership in participating in mission through prayer. You must realize that missions is not a spectator sport. You know, when you spectate, you sit on the sidelines or you sit in the stands and you watch, and you may or may not be invested, but it's nothing like actually being invested when you participate. You know, I think of when I was a kid, you couldn't pay me to watch baseball. Because I thought baseball, as a kid, was too slow, too boring, or just too much patience, not enough going on. But Do you know what turned me into a fan of, of baseball? Something happened, and after that, Baseball Tonight became my favorite TV show. It was when one kid in the neighborhood went from door to door, and he asked all the other kids to come out to his backyard, and he showed us an aluminum baseball bat and a tennis ball and we would pitch it to one another, and we would knock it past his fence. We would hit people's, you know, um, houses. And, you know, as a kid, I realized how annoyed they must have been. Break their shingles. <laughs> Declare ourselves to be Babe Ruth. And it's in that participation of baseball that we became fans of baseball. You see, spectating, merely watching something, will maybe get you involved, but maybe not. If we merely spectate missions, we merely watch other people do missions when we don't engage, merely sitting on the sidelines, then we will never get fully invested in it. But we are called to participate, and the way we participate is through prayer. You know, somebody once said that prayer is basically the way that God recruits those on his search and rescue team. And the thing about the search and rescue is you may not be the one who's on the boat weathering the storm, saving people out there who are drowning. You may be the guy in the the lighthouse doing the radio communication. Friends, that's equally important. You may not be out there on the front lines of battle that you are manning that radio communication prayer to God. So if that's true, let's pray that Christ's light, it breaks into the darkness of the world, and let's pray for the freedom in the gospel, freedom in Christ from enslaving sin and pray that across every corner of the world and let's pray that the glory of God spreads across the earth as the waters cover the sea. Let us pray that the missionaries be emboldened and powerful witness, especially in places where it's, it's hardest. You know, because when we pray for missions, all we are doing is obeying the Bible. You know how many commands there are for us to be in prayer when somebody else is on mission work? Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into, the, into his harvest. Ephesians 6.18 Keep alert, making supplication. This is Paul talking. For me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Colossians 4, three. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3.1 Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. The Bible commands us pray for missionaries, pray for missions, pray for doors to be opened, pray for boldness of speech, pray for softened hearts. You know, as you read this Lord's prayer, this petition, we can't just understand it personally, but we must understand it missionally. There was a Puritan, a 17th century Puritan, Richard Baxter, who wrote and confessed that when he prayed, he never prayed for concerns outside of England. He was an English Puritan. He only thought about the issues and the concerns that were happening in his own country. But he writes this, he says, once I read the Lord's Prayer and I finally understood it, that's when God put a burden for the nations on my heart. And his heart broke for those in the world and he writes that, that his heart broke because they were giving their allegiance to false kingdoms and false kings and false hopes and false dreams. And it was only as he understood the Lord's Prayer that his heart began to burden for the lost in the world. If we truly understand what Jesus is teaching us here in the Lord's Prayer, I, I think our hearts will get burdened too. And friends, if your heart is not burdened for missions, I simply push back and ask this, do you pray for missions? Because I can almost guarantee, if your heart is not burdened for missions, it's because you're not praying for missions. As we understand the Lord's prayer, may it fuel us. But you know what? The best zeal, the, the, the the thing that will make us truly zealous and committed to prayer for missions is not simply the guilt of, oh, I'm not praying enough, but it's actually a vision of a better king and a vision of a better kingdom. And this is our third point, the better king and kingdom. Phil Reichen, the president of Wheaton, wrote, anyone who comes under God's gracious rule wants to see everyone else come under it as well until the kingdom of Christ covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. If you are a Christian, if you have given your allegiance to Christ, this means you know Jesus is a good king and you know his kingdom is better let me remind you why you know this to be true. Because Jesus is the only king who sacrificed his life for you before he ever demanded your life for him. Jesus is the only king who got off his throne and took off his crown so that he could take up a cross and bear your sins. Jesus is the only king who gave up the glory of heaven so that he could share that glory with you. Jesus is the only king who was crucified outside of the city walls so that he could welcome you into the kingdom's gates. In fact, Jesus is the kind of king who prayed himself, Your will be done. He prayed this request even when he knew that meant losing his life for the very people who hated him and rejected him as king. The very people who mocked him as king and put on him a purple robe and a crown of thorns. Do you remember what Luke records for us when Jesus prayed in the garden at the end of his life? Luke writes this, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You know, Jesus, in praying for his own will, that meant safety and security. It meant preserving his life. But praying for the Father's will meant sacrifice and surrender. It means giving up his life. Now think about that. What kind of king is willing to do this, give up his life for traitors and rebels? Only the kind of king who is worth following. Only King Jesus. You see, if you understand this, this is what the world needs to hear. This is the king the world needs to follow. This is the king the world needs to hope in. Because one day, this king will come back, and and when he will come back, he won't come as meek as a lamb, but he will come as mighty as a lion. And when he comes as the king, he will expel every invader and every enemy from out of his kingdom. In the fullness of the kingdom that he brings, he will expel disease and expel death. He will kick out brokenness and pain and suffering and war and loss and loneliness and emptiness. You see, he will usher in a better kingdom where there is no more sin, there is no more death, there is no more decay. And Apostle John, in receiving this revelation, in, in, in his last book, in the last book of the Bible, it's no surprise then, you know what the last prayer in the Bible recorded is? Revelation 22, verse 20. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. Come as our king and come with your kingdom. Come bring the river of life. Come bring the new Jerusalem. Come bring healing to the nations. Come bring reconciliation. Come bring perfect justice. Come bring peace beyond understanding. Come bring hope now realized. Come bring us home. Come welcome us at your kingdom's gates. See, if you know the king, and you know the better kingdom, then you'll pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done, not only in our lives, not only in our families, but in Lansdale, in the US, in North America, in the world. Because the vision of the king and how good he is compels us in the joy of the knowledge of who he is and the kingdom that he has brought us into. So then we pray, we pray to make this as extremely practical as we can in the bulletins we list on the back of it the mission the missionaries that we partner with Grace Chung in Bulgaria, Sung and Amy Kim in Bangladesh, James and Ruth Park in China, Son in Germany. We don't write that just to show and tell. We write that so you remember who to pray with. Included in your bulletin were these two, two-sided uh, praying for missionaries or 16 ways to pray for missionaries that you would pray this week for these missionaries. Downstairs, if you go down on one of the ledges, not the welcome ledge, but the one with the counseling and resources, uh, there is a... printout of a calendar, 31 days of prayer. There is also there a copy of Operation World and its shorter version, Praying for the Nations, which basically detail um, the different prayer requests across different uh, countries in the world. I encourage you to to buy one of those. If you can't afford one, uh, you can come ask me, or you can just visit the free resource at OperationWorld.org. Take that, look over it, pray for them. If you don't know how to pray for missionaries, then ask Put the missions committee to work. Make them work hard. If they're not updating you, insist that they contact missionaries and get some prayer requests. Read the newsletters that we send out. Join us for prayer brunch on Sunday as we pray for the world and the missionaries we support. Now, don't just think about prayer. Don't just think about missions. Pray for missions. Because as you pray for missions, that is how God will choose to use you to advance his kingdom in the world. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven for the eternal good of people and for the ultimate glory of God our Father who saves sinners. Let's pray. Friends, I invite you just for a moment of response. That even now, you wouldn't just hear my prayer and spectate, but that you would participate as we pray. So I want to give you a few moments to pray in response, to pray in response to what you heard, to pray in response to the Spirit's prompting, to pray in response to the Word of God. Let's pray. People of God, receive the benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father Almighty and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all both now and forevermore. Amen. are the words of dismissal. Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace, friends.